It's uh, good to be with you again this morning, and today we will continue our summer-long study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And in chapter 4, we read about unity in the Spirit and the call for every believer to live a life as a response to God's calling and to acknowledge that Christ is head and center of the church. And we were instructed to live a Christ-centered life and grow to the full measure of Christ's image, to grow into godliness. And there were specifics about how to do this at the end of chapter four. And in chapter five, the apostle Paul continues to give specific instructions about how we can grow in character and in godliness so that we can love selflessly live sacredly and shine brightly as children of God. And as we look at today's verses, I am reminded of a story that C.S. Lewis once told about a schoolboy whose father asked him a simple question. He said, son, what is God like? And after thinking for a moment, the boy replied, God is the sort of person who's always snooping around to see if anyone is having fun and then he tries to stop it. And if we, if we think for a moment about this, the boy's reply is a common attitude towards the Christian life, isn't it? If you wanna be a good Christian, there are certain things that you cannot do. There are certain behaviors that are off limits. Don't do them and if you do do them, Everybody will know that you're not a good Christian. And just a forewarning, some of Paul's instructions today may seem a little direct, may seem a little harsh, like he's meddling a little bit. But I hope by the end of our time together that we will see how these words helped the Ephesians back then and how these same words can help us today. So if you have your Bible with you and would like to follow along, I invite you to open it up to the book of Ephesians, chapter five, and we're gonna look at verses one through 14. And if you've been traveling or haven't had a chance to be with us over the last couple of weeks and wanna catch up, I encourage you to go to our website and watch the service or maybe listen to our podcast. So let's pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning to be able to worship with you. We ask for your help, your spirit, and your wisdom as we study your word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So I'll be reading uh, the passage in its entirety from the New Living Translation. Listen now to the word of God. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. And you can be sure that no immoral, 
impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. In the sh it is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Imitate God in everything you do because you are his dear children. Verse one starts off with a seemingly impossible command, doesn't it? Imitate God, Paul says. Don't imitate the world and its ways. Imitate God and emulate his ways. The Greek word used here, mimites, which means mimic in English. To mimic someone means to emulate specific characteristics of another person. When we mimic someone, we try to act like them. Like when a small child imitates or mimics their, their parents, sometimes in a good way, and sometimes in ways that could embarrass us a little bit, right? Imitating God means that we do our best to show God's characteristics of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are to strive wholeheartedly to replace our heart with God's heart, to have a heart like David, to be a people that reflect the kindness, tenderness, and mercy of our Heavenly Father. To imitate God is to show God's love. God is love and his very nature is defined by love. Everything he does, he does out of love. As children of God, we are to imitate and walk in that love. In verse two, he says it explicitly. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Loving selflessly is the start of imitating God. Love is giving. Love is sacrifice. Love is selfless. Love is humbling ourselves and considering others first. It is forgiving those that are hard to forgive. And when we do these things, we are showing God's love and we are imitating God's character. You see, Jesus' death on the cross is the greatest expression of his love for us and for the world to see. And sometimes it's easier to see God's love in action. And I'm sure a number of you may have seen this on the news recently. Oh, look out. This is really cool because as a pitcher, Bubs looks shaken up right now. 
because of what he did. And look at Zay Jarvis. This is such great sportsmanship. He wants him to know that it's okay, that he'll be fine. Hey, bud. Look at me. Look at me. You're all right. Amazing. You're all right. Look at me. Hey, look, look. You can do it. Now let me assure you that everyone was okay and uh, the young man that was hit by the pitcher, Isaiah Jarvis, went out of his way to go and console the pitcher. And several news outlets reported that Isaiah said to them, I just wanted to go over there and spread God's love and make sure that he knew I was okay and wanted to do that for him as well. You see, when we do things like this young man, we are imitating God's love for us. We are showing and following God's loving and selfless example. As children of God, we are to live sacredly. And now Paul gets real specific here and a little into our business. He says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. Do not participate in obscene stories foolish talk, and coarse jokes. And it's true, right? The Christian life involves prohibitions. It involves certain things that are inappropriate and off limits for believers. Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. There are certain things, certain behaviors, certain attitudes that should not characterize the people of God. So these things are off limits. And the problem arises when we think Christianity is merely and exclusively about the no-nos and not about a positive vision of the Christian life. The problem comes when we define the thing by what it's not instead of saying, here's what comes in replacement of. We don't just give up something without taking something else up. We don't say no to one character of life without embracing another character of life. To use Paul's contrasting language in Ephesians 5, don't resist the darkness without stepping into the light. If we're trying to get in shape, a good nutritionist will tell us that we have to give up certain foods, but a replacement of the stuff that we give up, we replace it with the right kinds of foods, the good stuff. We don't just say no, to one thing and define it by what it's not when it comes to the Christian faith. We must define it by what it is, the positive, the whole, the good things that the Lord Jesus Christ desires to do for you and for me and for all his people. And yes, for Paul, Christianity is partly defined by the absence of some behaviors and attitudes, but that's not the whole story. It's also defined by the good things that God wants to produce in our lives, not occasionally or when he feels like it, but consistently, every waking moment of our day. Here Paul is specific about different kinds of sins and self-indulgence, sexual sin, impurity of any kind. He talks about greed. He talks about idolatry. He talks about obscene, silly and vulgar talk. And if we make a list and focus on these things, the no-nos, then we're not quite landing where Paul wants us to land. 
because throughout his letters in the New Testament, our behaviors are really manifestations of character and manifestations of our identity. The truth is our identity and character are marked by self-indulgence and self-worship, whether it's illicit sex or whether it's greed or whether it's talk that serves my end and not your end. The main underlying focus of these types of behaviors is that they are self-serving and self-gratifying. If you've read much about the ancient Greco-Roman world, you would know that that entire society was marked by two categories, honor and shame. If you could get one up on somebody in any one of these categories, whether it's immorality, public debate, more money, the more things that you had of one kind, the more power you displayed and the more honor you received. And it's these types of behaviors that Paul is talking about where powerful people gain honor amongst themselves. Paul is saying there's a certain kind of character here, a character that involves self-centeredness, self-gratification and self-promotion. And that's the sort of thing that we are called to stay away from. Behaviors that cause us to look inwardly and not outwardly. If you like images, Paul is talking here about darkness. It's like being asleep and Jesus is alive and active in the world and we're just sitting here taking a nap. We're missing out. We're not experiencing the good things that he has for us. And if we're not careful, we can easily feel like, like the little boy that Lewis was talking about, that all God wants to do is to cramp my style, to get into my business. Paul is telling us to take a second and think about our actions. Are they wise or are they foolish? Are they self-gratifying or do they honor God? It's really not about a do and don't list. It's really about examining the evidence of our character. What sort of character do I have? Is my character marked by darkness or is it marked by light? Is my character marked by self-gratification and self-worship? Or is my character marked by self-giving love that Jesus Christ possesses? And as we continue to move on, we see a key transition in verse eight. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Paul reminds us of our new identity and encourages us to wake up and live as children of light. This is a new hope and vision for all of us in a fallen world. And so we get this huge contrast that is marked by darkness and light. And people who are in the darkness are asleep and people who in the light, Paul says, are awake. And the thing that Paul wants to do is move people from sleeping in the darkness and to being awake in the light. That's the big metaphor here, the big contrast, the big difference and distinction of his words for us today. Paul reminds us, Paul reminds the Ephesians that their lives have changed. When they were in darkness, they did not know where they came from or where they were going. They lived to gratify themselves through immoral, greedy, 
and unholy behavior. But once the light of the gospel shone on them, they became children of light, living to produce goodness and righteousness and truth. And when we came into light, and when we came into the light of Christ, our purpose changes. Light exposes the ugliness of sin and the realities of evil. It illuminates everything around it. Paul says that we begin to see things more clearly. I had the opportunity a while back to participate in a number of Alpha courses in our church and in our community. Alpha is a great class, a safe class if you have questions about God or the Christian faith. And I recall the times when people in the class would come to a better understanding of God or became new believers in Christ and it's like their eyes were suddenly opened and illuminated. And they would ask, what have I been missing all my life? Their faces lit up, they had different perspective and it's like, the, and I like, it's like light radiate, radiated from them. And then we see a crucial turning point again in verse 14. Paul declares, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ, Christ the Messiah, will shine on you. The Messiah will shine on you. And the question I ask myself, who is the sleeper that Paul is referring to? An old English preacher spent time answering this question about who the sleeper was in this passage. The short answer is that the sleeper is a person who's in their natural state apart from Christ. And this is consistent across many of Paul's letters. In 1 Thessalonians, for example, he uses this kind of language to talk about people. People who have not yet come into a relationship of the life-giving love of Jesus. They're in a natural state before God's voice awakens them into a new life in Christ. It is the state in which we all come into this world as. The person who is asleep is satisfied in their sin. They really do not see a need for Jesus. It's kind of like, yeah, I've heard about Jesus, but I'm good. I've heard about the gospel, about church, but you know, things are going pretty well for me right now. And I bet some of us here this morning know people that have this philosophy towards life. They may not see anything wrong with the church, but they're content with living a life apart from Christ. Paul is saying that Jesus offers light. Jesus offers life. So Paul says to the sleeper, awake, arise from the dead. It's the kind of exhortation I remember as a kid growing up. After multiple nice motherly pleas for me to get up and get ready for school, my mom would forcefully come in at one point and rather harshly say, get up. And I envisioned the same similar exhortation from Paul, awake, wake up. Before we come into union with Christ, we were in darkness. We're in a tomb, we are asleep. And God in Christ through his spirit brings us life and awakens us and makes us new. And there's really no other explanation but that this is a work of grace. If we ask how the sleeper is awakened, dead people don't resuscitate themselves. Dead people don't bring themselves back to life. They have no power. They have no capacity, no ability. 
nothing to initiate this sort of healing. Friends, it is and always be a work of grace. If a dead person arises and if the sleeper awakes, it is through the mercy and kindness of God. And the mercy and kindness of God is described in this passage as Christ's shining light. And this is not the kind of God that the little boy described in the story from C.S. Lewis. It's not of God who is just kind of hanging around, just waiting to crash your party and to stop all your fun. It is a God who wants to give you abundant life. It is a God who loves you. And because of his love, he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you and for me. And God's grace brings us a sense of purpose. One of the greatest gifts that we've been given by God is purpose. God is clear that all life is valuable in his creation. It's in purpose that we find satisfaction. It's in purpose that we find out that our lives matter and why we were created. We were created for relationship with God. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The shorter catechism says it this way, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Loving God is our highest calling. And in loving God, we will experience the fullest joy and satisfaction available. And when we stand before him one day, he will not look at possessions or promotions or social status or honor or shame. Because of the death of his son, he will not look at our no-no list, but rather God will look at the fervor with which we loved him. Be imitators, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. How incredible is the grace of God that his purposes are entirely rooted in love. All we have to do is to simply love him back with the very love that we have been shown. And when we walk in love, we shine brightly. We are salt and light in a dark world. We become like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Paul is not saying that when we put our faith in Jesus, the lure of the things that Paul talks about will suddenly go away. No, this, this will never happen because we live in a world where darkness is prevalent. So when we walk as children of light, we have a new identity. We love selflessly. We imitate God's love and this becomes the defining characteristic of who we are. When we love selflessly, we don't become pious thinking that we are better than others because of the grace that God has bestowed upon us. We love selflessly and live sacredly as a response to a loving God that has called us to shine brightly in a dark world. We are to point people to the reality that there is joy and hope and peace found in relationship with Jesus Christ. We are a lighthouse for a savior that graciously signs upon our dead hearts and gives us the opportunity to become new creations. So I were to ask you this morning,
what do you think God is like? Is he the kind of God that is always looking at your no-no list? Or is he a God that offers much, much more? Love selflessly, live sacredly, and your light will shine brightly in a world that desperately needs Jesus. Amen.